Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew's Gospel was written for the benefit of traditionally observant Jews at the time of Jesus. Um, and so it's no wonder that he would include as part of his Gospel a series of admonitions that are very similar to Proverbs, similar to the uh, Proverbs in the Hebrew Scriptures. Um, one of these admonitions uh, is what we're reading today. It comes from Matthew's Gospel uh, in chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Uh, it's on page 787 in the Pew Bible, but it's a very famous passage, and it's one that you're probably quite familiar with. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume them, and where thieves break in and steal them. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there also will your heart be. Let's be in a spirit of prayer together. Let us pray. Oh God, take us away this day, away from any anxieties we might have, at least for a couple of minutes, away from our to-do lists, away from the weight of the world that we might be opened up and ready to be challenged and taught and inspired um, and bothered by your word. Sung, preached, said. Amen. And from that text that Frank shared, and Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friends, can a book, can just one book, change your life forever? Change the way you look at the world, radically reshape it. Change your outlook, your beliefs, your previously held assumptions about everything. Can a book change you? If you had to name one book, one book beyond the Bible, if that is the most life-altering book you've ever read, one tome or one volume that changed you dramatically, powerfully, surprisingly, what might it be? Now me, partially because I think about these things, I can answer that question pretty easily. It's a book you've heard me talk about many times from this pulpit. It's not a book, actually, but a play. It's a work of literature I'm using to kick off a new spiritual book group I'm beginning and leading at the end of this month at a local bookstore. The book is Our Town by Thornton Wilder. And as many of us probably remember, it tells the story of the people who live in Grover's Corners, New Hampshire, at the beginning of the 20th century during a 13-year period. The play won the Pulitzer Prize in 1938, and its second performance was actually right here in Boston at the Wilbur Theater in January of that year. Some claim that Our Town is the most performed play of all time in the American theater. Has anyone here ever seen the play? 
Has anyone here ever been in the play? That's great to see. You know, at first glance, Our Town is a play that is tempting to dismiss as a simplistic in its view of life. It's set in a tiny New England rural village more than 100 years ago. It is not current. It does not tackle some huge political or social issue. And the main character is not some towering hero or tragic martyr, but is instead a little girl and then a teenager named Emily. And the human events it describes, small town life and falling in love and getting married and leaving home and having a baby, it doesn't seem to be the stuff of profundity or import either. I first read the play in 1987 when I was a 26-year-old second-year student at Boston University School of Theology. And one of the best professors I've ever had, he was teaching a class on Bible wisdom. And so he had us read alongside sacred texts like the Psalms or the Book of Ecclesiastes. He had us read secular texts next to them for comparison. I still remember the winter evening I cracked open the play laying on my bed in my cramped little room in a first-floor apartment in Waltham. Spoiler alert, I'm going to give away some of what happens. At the beginning of the third act, after the audience has watched Emily mature into a young woman and then get married at the congregational church, as the curtain rises, we find ourselves looking at a graveyard filled with people who have died including Emily, who we will learn passed away while giving birth to her first child. Those souls now inhabit the hill right above the town, and Emily Emily just cannot accept her death, and so she convinces the godlike character of the stage manager to allow her to return to the world, but only as a witness. And she goes back, and she spends an achingly heartbreaking day watching the simple events of her 12th birthday unfold. And then she starts to return back to the netherworld in the graveyard. And her spiritual epiphany, and my spiritual epiphany, was this. She realizes how little she, how little humans really, appreciate and understand and realize the simple yet profoundly beautiful gifts of everyday life. She laments to the stage manager, I can't go on. It goes so fast. We don't have time to look at one another. Take me back up the hill. But then looking back at the earth one last time, she says, Oh, earth, you're too wonderful for anybody to realize you. It goes so fast. I didn't realize. All that was going on in life, and we never noticed. Do any human beings realize life? while they live it, every, every minute. Friends, it was that last line that convicted me like no other ever before in my young life. It woke me up. It struck me like a thunderclap. It made me realize, like Emily, both how this God-given beautiful life really is with all its treasure and with all its challenges, and how even then, as a 20-something young man, how often I had missed out I had taken for granted the simple gifts of my one life. I missed them because I felt like God owed me something. 
I miss them because I spent too much time partying and numbing myself to life. I miss them because I worried so damn much about what others thought about me. I miss the miracle of life because I sometimes acted as if this life just goes on forever, and so I wasted too many days with regret or boredom or fear or with the fantasy that there will always be another day, right? Well, maybe not. And that one lesson, that one God-inspired haunting lesson, Emily asks that question. It has stayed with me to this day, 32 years later, as a person of faith, as a mortal child of God. It's the most important life lesson my faith has ever given to me. Do any human beings realize life while we live it? Every, every minute. The tragedy of Emily's character is that she has to face her own mortality to remember what matters the most to her in life. She has to leave this earth to remember just how amazing life on earth is. She has to lose the people she loves most and the home she loves most and the man she loves most and the community she loves most before her eyes are opened and she finally realizes what she treasures the most, what really matters to her. Matters as in being precious. Matters as in all of the relationships and the work and the pain and the day-to-day rhythms that make this life not just worth living, but also beautiful. Even on our hard days. Even on the days when life can feel empty But always life is filled with so much love, with human love and with God's love. If only we could see this treasure. If only we could understand what matters in this life. So that's how that one book changed my life. And friends, that's how I believe our God calls us to change too, to wake up to feel the splash of cold water and realization upon our faces, to understand and to remember and to cherish and to thank God for the things in this life that finally and really and totally matter, the things and people to treasure. That is our treasure. Like family, like someone to love us and someone to love, like daily work that contributes to the goodness of life and the goodness of other people's lives, like living in faith and in hope and putting our faith into action, like showing mercy and kindness and helping to heal a broken world, treasure, good food for our bodies and art for our souls and God's creation to amaze us and friends to walk with us. What really matters. Not a big shiny car or a huge house or a stack of awards or having power over others not complaining about what we don't have or being critical or cranky or self-righteous or being so in love with our own opinions, not judging the people we share this earth with, not living in despair or cynicism or having an overblown ego or winning at all costs or imagining that this life somehow centers around me, not insisting upon always being right. 
On this Stewardship Sunday, we are called to remember that to be a good steward of all the gifts that God gives to us, life and shelter and money and comfort and meaning and purpose and love, to be a good steward means we seek every day to realize life while we live it, to not just sleepwalk through life or to act as if life will just go on forever. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says to not store up on this earth fleeting human treasures for ourselves, material things that will always, friends, they always, they rust and they fall apart. They are a shiny bauble today and they're a throwaway item tomorrow. Worldly matters that finally matter for little, like how many likes we get on Facebook or what the latest hot air-filled why is that we freak out about when we turn on the television set. Jesus teaches us that the best life is always God-given, is always God-directed, is always to be treasured, that a good life is always about trying every single day to just remember what really matters. What matters. Can I get an amen for that? Okay. You know, as a part of our 2020 group, I interviewed couples, 10 people who live in the area who don't go to church. They're all in their 30s and 40s. And the number one thing they said they thought a church should do is to remind people every time they can what really matters in this life. Because they don't get it anywhere else. We don't get it anywhere else. I mean, that's why I go to church. Church is the last place and sometimes the only place in my one life that regularly, weekly, consistently, faithfully reminds me about what matters. And at our best, we in the church are given the chance every time we worship, every time we gather together in service to others or at youth group or in Bible study or at coffee hour, wherever two or more are gathered in Jesus' names, we realize this treasure called life. And then we are asked to generously share it with others. So... As we gather together and ask God to bless the financial promises that we make this day to our church and faith community, may our God haunt us, push us, teach us, inspire us this day to be thankful for the treasure called human life and to remember, really remember what matters, to realize life while we live it. Let all God's people declare, amen.